It's really interesting how this, and we'll pray here in a minute, but Acts chapter 12 is about Peter getting released from prison through prayer. And we had that conversation on Monday night with a guy who asked a question about prayer. And then he actually, you remember how I, on, if you were if you didn't watch, that's okay. But on Monday, I, I gave out my phone number and I gave him an email. Go ahead. And he called me, you know, from, from wherever. I think, I don't know, where, I forgot where he's planted a church now. He was a former college student here. And I baptized him, I guess, a long time ago and planted seeds. Uh, and he says, it's just, he says, I don't know how, how many times you hear this or not, but I just want you to know those seeds eventually germinated and bear fruit. And I'm out here assisting, passing, starting a church out here. And I'm like, oh, cool. And his question was really good and thought provoking and all. And, and we had a great conversation about prayer. And he goes, you know, and one of the, one of the things he mentioned was, you know, if you, when you start to pray and, and, you, and you know that God knows everything because he's sovereign and you kind of feel like, okay, so why do I pray? You know, if he already knows these things, and I thought, yeah, we all struggle with that. I mean, that's a common problem, man. It's really interesting that chapter 12 is exactly what that's about because there's a bunch of guys praying for Peter to get released from prison. An angel shows up. Spoiler alert. The whole, this is a Bible study in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> the angel comes in, kicks his side, says, wake up, put your stuff on, get your sandals on. We're getting out of here. And they, it, there's a jailbreak. He comes out and he knocks on the door of the people that are praying and nobody can believe that he got free. And these are the people praying for him, you know? And so you got a bunch of people praying that don't actually believe he's actually going to get out. When he gets out, they don't believe it's actually him. They think it's some kind of angel or spirit or something. Or, and it's so funny how that just falls right into place with what we were talking about. We pray because God tells us to pray. Now, yeah, he's sovereign. And how it moves the hand of God, whether it moves the hand of God at times, because, you know, you pray that way, oh, God, please heal them of cancer, and yet your will be done because maybe you want to do something else with their life with that cancer. Because we don't know how to pray necessarily. And this is a great example of that, this chapter. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we, we do. We pray because you, you say it's good and because you want to talk to us. And although we know as a good father, you'll always provide for us and take care of us just like we provide and take care of our own kids and we're evil and you're good, and yet we still are, are told and asked to pray for our daily bread, even though we don't have to worry about that because we know you'll take care of us, but we do. We pray because you want to talk to us, because you want to spend time with us, and because you want to have conversations with us. You want us to have what Adam and Eve had, that walking in the cool of the day with you, and talking with you, and reasoning with you, and asking questions from you. Um, and so, Lord, that's what we're here to do tonight. We're here to sit at your feet. We're here to hear from your Holy Spirit to teach us, to bring us closer to you, to have a, just a stronger relationship with you. Even if it isn't deep theological things, it may just be just time well spent with our Father who loves us. And so we pray that you do whatever you want to do tonight with the kids, with the teachers in the back, with us. We pray that you're glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. I do have a handout, actually. Well, not a handout. It's a, it's a hand get. Go get it on your way out. Because um, we're going to talk about Herods. And there's some questions about, okay, how many Herods are there? And there's a lot of Herods. And so this is kind of a diagram of the Herods and some scriptures and stuff. So you can kind of track it. Some of you are like, I just... I just want to know if I'm saved or not. And that's fine. You don't need to go this deep if you don't want to. But it is fun. Grab one, stick it in your Bible, and you might be interested in it later. It was the most simple form because I like simple. Just I don't want all the detail. I just want some, I just want some, 
some clarity. So we have Herod Antipas over here, and we've got Herod Agrippa I, which is who we're talking about tonight, which is why this is out here. Because we're going to ask which Herod, well, this is Herod Agrippa, and he's referenced here uh, in this in this chapter a little bit. So that's on the back table there. There's like 19, 20 copies, 19 out there, one up here. You can grab this one if you want to. And if we run out, I can send it to you, or I can get more printed off or whatever. But just kind of just some stuff, you know, a little, a little extra homework. We'll call it homework. How's that? All right. We left off last week in chapter 11 um, with the victory uh, of God's grace. Uh, Peter had to go and kind of defend what had happened to the Gentiles. They had gotten saved. Um, the, the, the guys in Judea, you know, they weren't so sure about these Gentiles getting saved. And after the, Peter's done, he's like, they're like, well, I guess I get saved. You know, I guess Gentiles are, can, can be salvaged, you know, basically is what their thought was. More than salvaged. When we get to that chapter here where they actually have the showdown in Jerusalem, they're actually going to say, you know, we Jews need to get saved like those Gentiles, not the other way around. And it's a big step for them, a big move for them. So we left off with a beautiful victory for God's grace. And you can see God moving and it brought joy to a lot of people's hearts to hear God moving in the Gentiles. Other people, it brought turmoil and a little darkness, like, and maybe a little bit of jealousy. That was always the problem. There's a little jealousy when we see, not when we, when they saw some God doing something with people he didn't think he could, God could use. And we just have to really watch that and read that and make sure and check our own hearts that way too, that we're not disappointed when God does something, you know, with somebody else that we didn't think God would necessarily use. Or why, why isn't God using me more than he's using them? But he isn't, he's using them. But to be happy about it, to be excited about it. Barnabas, son of encouragement, is like, that's great. I'm going to go find Paul. And he goes off. And that's where we left off. He went off to go find poor Saul, who's like, man, nobody likes me. Every time I'm around him, I'm always talking about things and, and I'm always getting the church in trouble. And, you know, so they kind of kicked it. Hey, why don't you go over here? Kind of the left foot of fellowship over there. And he goes to Barnabas leaves to go find him because that's what Barnabas does. He is a, he ministers to the one, you know, and we're going to find that out later on too, um, as they go into the mission field. Hope. But Barnabas ministers to the one. Paul likes to minister to the group. You know, it's just how he is. He does have Timothy's and Titus's alongside of him, younger guys in the Lord. But he says, come on, hurry up, get on board because we got work to do. And he treats them like the scrubs that they are, which is necessary. Um, I think young pastors need to be taught how to be scrubs first. You know, hey, carry my coat, carry my scrolls. Let's get going. We got mission. I want to go home. You can't go home, Mark. Quit being a baby. You know, I want to go home. Fine, get out of here. We don't have time for you. And he moves on with the ministry, you know. We've got people to get saved here. Let me know when you grow up kind of thing. Barnabas isn't like that. Barnabas is like, oh, now Marcus, all right, man. You just got to take time. Remember, Saul, how you were kicked out and I went and found you? And Barnabas, come on, Mark, it's going to be okay. You know, and, and he works with him. And later on, this John Mark actually writes the book of Mark, you know. And it's interesting how, how God works through different people, different ministries, and uh, we kind of see that here. So we left off with a wonderful, hey, God's doing some gracious things with the, with the Gentiles. How exciting that the gospel's for them as well. Uh, Barnabas goes looking for Paul. Uh, and through some prophecies at the end, uh, <laughs> there's a famine that's going to be coming. And the prophecies are like, hey, look out, Judea. Famine's coming your way. Judea happens to be the guys 
They kind of challenged and were wondering about the Gentiles getting saved, and now they're going to be without food. And guess who's going to be the famine relief people? That's going to be these Gentile churches and other churches as well, but they're going to be going. And, and, uh, and so, the, so you see this beautiful work that God has done with this Gentile church getting saved, the Jews having to say, okay, fine, I guess they're saved. Hey, you guys are in trouble. And the Gentiles are going, you guys need any bread. It's just a wonderful full circle kind of moment. And uh, the, Judy, the, the, the Judeans are starting to receive some grace and mercy and love, which is what they needed. Um, from this Gentiles over here. And so they're like, they're, they're bonding, they're becoming brothers, you know, and sisters in the Lord through Jesus. And it's just a neat thing to see happen. So not that we should always be waiting for the other shoe to drop, but as soon as there's a wonderful, beautiful spiritual victory, like we left off with, with chapter 11, we see an attack. And don't be surprised when that happens. And I don't want us to walk around saying, oh, that was a great church service. I better watch my back, you know. Because Satan's out to get me. He's always out to get us. But keep that in mind. Chapter 12 is a direct result, I believe. And I think Luke understands that too. As soon as we had this wonderful moment, here comes the attack from Satan. It says in verse 1, Now about that time, Herod, the king. Now which Herod are we talking about? Herod Agrippa I. Okay. That's who I believe. I think that's who we're we're talking about here. Um, That's my understanding. Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, put him in prison, and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Okay. So Herod Agrippa is kind of, uh, he's, he's a half breed, basically half Jew, half whatever. And he liked to be, you know, so Rome's still kind of in charge and Herod gets to kind of be like a mini king, basically junior king, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Um, and so he gets to try to schmooze with the, the Jews. And what I mean, that, not the saved Jews, the Jews that were like, wish Saul was still on their team kind of thing. Can't believe Saul got saved. The guys that gave letters to, to kill the church and to stop this spreading of Jesus. He says, I want their favor. So he goes ahead and kills James, the brother of John. Now, if you don't know who that is, um, Mark chapter three, verse 17, James, the son of Zebedee and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the, um, the nickname that is sons of thunder. That's who these boys were. James and John, sons of thunder, you know, loud, boisterous fishermen, you know. I want you guys to follow me, you know, this, you know, the barking dogs of, of, uh, of the ministry here. Well, James gets beheaded by this Herod, and he sees that the Jews are like, oh, very good, you know, very good. Glad you killed him, a martyr, another martyr. Um, and so they say, well, let's get Peter. Maybe that'd be good, too, if we killed Peter, too. And so we can see this attack from Satan Anybody that can be stirred by Satan will be stirred by Satan. I'll say that over and over till the, till the day I die. Because when I'm not walking with the Lord, when I'm not filled with the Spirit, if I'm not a born-again believer, everybody's a threat. Everybody that does not have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of their life and a born-again believer can be stirred by Satan. And you would never think it would come from that corner or that corner of your life. These unbelievers that swore up and down, they would back you and they were going to be your friends. 
you know, even though they weren't believers in Jesus, even though they weren't quite there yet, whatever excuse they gave you, they get stirred by Satan just as easily as anybody else. Okay. They're not your brothers. They're not your friends. And we can see that here. We see Satan trying to stir things up. We need to stop the spread. We need to start killing the leaders of the church, start killing James. Maybe if we kill Peter and he's going to go through this list of of people. And I, I have up here, uh, do you have that picture from, that's okay. No, no, don't worry about it. Um, way to go, Aaron. It's not like, what, you're not doing much. I mean, you know, singing worship, running sound, running the lyric, you know, doing all that. Um, I have a, a, so, uh, an excerpt from Fox's book of martyrs that uh, kind of lays out the, the, uh, how the 12 apostles were um, martyred. And so um, I'll, I'll put that out in the comments of this uh, Facebook post so you guys can look at it there. That's kind of what I've been doing. It seems to work pretty good. Anyway, um, starting to kill these leaders because he's trying to stop this from happening. And that's what Satan tries to do. If there's a work of God, a work of the Holy Spirit anywhere on the earth, attacks come to stop that from spreading. Of course, anytime Satan does that, it's never worked. It only fans the flames. It only gets things going. It only makes it hotter. You know, um, that's what winds do. You try to blow out a, you can't blow out a forest fire. It only makes it worse. And so, um, the, the best way for the best thing for a forest fire is no winds and just a little bit of rain. That's it. Just a little bit. And it's the same thing for our lives too. Just a little bit of calm, a little bit of normalcy, a little bit of, oh, let's just, you know, relax a little bit. And that gets us off our game. It really does. But when things are hot and heavy and things are moving fast, boy, we're spiritual antenna are up and we are looking for any way to minister and we're ready for it. And Satan hates that when we're on our guard like that. Um, so Satan's trying to, uh, you know, cool things down by heating things up and just doesn't work. So he does that. He, uh, he takes James and beheads him. And then he takes Peter and puts him in prison. Now the church is realizing something. Not only is John mourning, keep that in mind. My brother just got killed. He's, he's hit hard. You know, you don't think about those things when you read that stuff. John's an apostle. Get over it. No, my brother just got beheaded. You know, we've been sons of thunder. We've been on fishing boats together. We followed Jesus the same day. We've been through thick and thin. We were at the crucifixion. We, I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. And so John is going through it right now. Hard, a hard time for him. Um, Peter gets seized. The whole church is like, wait a minute, is this it? I mean, is this the end of it? St- Stephen? And now James? And now Peter's arrested? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? A lot of things happen in a young believer's life when the people above him, in other words, or her, the teachers, whatever, aren't there anymore for them for whatever reason. And I don't want to go down any paths there. Okay. I've always assumed that that person was going to be there for me. I always assumed they were going to be someone I could call, you know, phone a friend, you know, uh, to find out what the answer is. And all of a sudden these guys aren't there anymore. And people are starting to realize it's my walk with Jesus now. It's not our walk with Jesus. It's not their walk. And I've hitched my wagon to their walk. James is gone. He's not coming back. Stephen is gone and he's not coming back. What happens if all of these people in my life are gone? Well, I stand. 
Will I still walk with Jesus even though the most important believers that I kind of lean on, what if they're gone? That's a good question for all of us. And those are some good things to run through your mind. Can I stand on my own? If I was dropped in the middle of name the state by myself, would I be able to continue on with the Lord in my own studies? Would I be able to walk with the Lord? Would I be able to feed myself is the question. Spiritually feed myself. And we need to be able to do that. That's the whole point. We start off with the pure milk of the word of God, which is beautiful and is always the same, except eventually the pure milk of the word is also there's pure beef, you know, steak, and there's some pure vegetables, and there's some pure, lots of things that need to be chewed on, need to be thought through on our own, not just spoon fed all the time. Eventually, we want to get to that place where we prepare our own food. We actually open up a chapter and we find out who the author is writing to, who the character are in that, who the characters are in that chapter, what is actually being said here. I no longer take snippets of it and, and, and tape it to my mirror, but I, I digest the entire chapter, the entire book, and find out what the author is getting at and who he's writing to and why he's writing it. And you begin to, you begin to chew on that. You begin to feed yourself. It's like you're getting raw meat and you're getting raw vegetables and you're getting raw whatever, and you've got to slice it up and you've got to put it in a casserole or whatever you're going to do with it. You've got to fry it and cook it up and you're going to eat it yourself. I can cook for myself. Everybody goes through that. We all start off as babies being spoon-fed and here's the pre, you know, pre-pureed food. Ew, when you're 38 years old and you're still eating baby food out of a jar with a tiny little spoon, you eat a lot of jars, you know? Ain't the same anymore. And sweet potatoes are just kind of gross in that form. You know, you need to get some marshmallows and stuff. Now, what I'm getting at is you grow up and your tastes evolve and you mature and you get teeth. You don't have gums anymore and you've got flavor and you've got ideas and you need to do that and exercise those things. The church is beginning to figure that out. First of all, that hammer of Saul and the persecution that came boom, hit Jerusalem and scattered the people. And they're not sitting in the temple anymore. They're over here and they're over there and they're over there. Like, what are we going to do? We can't, well, we're going to have to have church. We're going to have to have church without the apostles. And then we have church in these places. And all of a sudden, here comes Herod saying, I'm going to take out Peter. I'm going to take out James. I'm going to take out Stephen. It's like, oh, oh. And they're, they're getting that now. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now they are praying for his release. They are praying for his survival because that's what they did. Now I don't, and here's where it comes into play. I don't know what God's will is for Peter. But they, might have, they may have prayed for James's survival too, and he died. So maybe they're just praying because they know that's what they want, but they're not sure what God wants us. But, but as far as they're concerned, I pray, for, I pray for Peter to get released. Please don't let Peter die. But Peter, I just, Peter, we need Peter. Now I don't know if they believed or not, but there might've been just a little bit of faith I don't know that we need all the faith in the world. Now I'm gonna, I am going to read James. Don't worry. For those of you who are like, wait, James said without doubting. Pray without doubting. Don't let that man expect to receive anything if he prays without doubt. And we take that verse in James, which I'll read to you here. And we're like, I don't know. I think I might have doubted a little bit when I prayed. Well, I want you to, I want you to take note of this chapter then. 
to bring you a little bit of comfort to you. Because I believe if you just have a little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed, maybe not all the faith in the world, but just a little bit of faith, God answers. So they're praying for him. It says, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, in other words, the Passover was over, we're about to bring him out, we're going to do to him like what we did to James. That night, Peter was sleeping. Now that's crazy. I don't want to spend much time on it, but can you imagine sleeping the night before you're going to be taken out and beheaded like your buddy James? But apparently he was asleep. Bound with two chains between two soldiers. I mean, so they, he was under guard. The guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie in your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Couldn't tell the difference between it. Like a daydream, you know, just like this can't be happening, but it is. You've been woken up like that, you know. I've been woken up like that. I mean, you just feel like a buffoon. I, I do anyway. I wake up and I'm like, what? Okay. And I start talking before I should start talking. You know, what's happening here? You know, and you're like, it's okay. I just wanted to know, you know, that's happened to me. So you can see Peter just getting kicked in the side saying, get up. Come on, put your stuff on. Okay. You know, gird yourself, follow me. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. You're getting that, right? And none of the guards are seeing any of this happen. He is chained between two guards. The chains fall off. The guards are sitting there or they're asleep or who knows what's happened. But they don't notice Peter leaving, getting dressed. He goes past the first guard shack. They're not paying attention. Second guard shack, they're not paying attention. Open up the gates. All of a sudden, the gates go, you're okay. Clear. Amazing. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. (laughs) So he's left there all girded up. Okay, now where? He's by himself in the middle of the street. All right, you know, I guess I'm going over here. I just, what a great story. I don't know what to make of all of it. It's probably no more than what we just read. And sometimes I try to make more of it than it really just, it just, it just happened, you know. But I take a lot from it. And so let me spend a little bit of time here. It says in James chapter one, verses five through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I, the way I am, I put myself right in that category at the end. I'm kind of a double-minded guy. I am unstable. I mean, I like to think of myself more stable than a lot of people, but I can still see myself right there. I don't think that verse is what's happened here with the church praying. 
I think the church is praying, please, if it's your will, God, let Peter get out of prison. Because that's our job. Our job is not to dictate what happens to Peter. Our job is to pray for what we'd hope. I pray for healing for you. I pray that you'd get out of prison. I pray that you'd overcome this. I pray that this sin would leave your life. I pray that you'd, that's my, that's my job. As someone here on earth, horizontal to you, I pray up vertically for us to win, right? Now, if we don't win, I'm okay with that too, because I know that God's will is being accomplished. But that's not my job to pray, you know, any other way other than for you. I think that's what the church is doing. They're praying for Peter. Peter, how should we pray for you? Can I get out of here? I don't want to lose my head right now. All right, that's how we'll pray. And so I don't know that they're double-minded. For what we're about to read, I'm just preparing you for what we're about to read. Verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself... He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. It's just, thank you, God. You know, that's his way of saying thank you. Now I know that God's for me. I don't know if this is, you know, as you're you're chained up there, is this my time? I don't know if it's my time. I got to be okay with it, though, if it is, Peter would say to himself. And And it seems like he was, I'm going to sleep. He fell asleep undressed, got ready for bed, went to sleep. But if it's not my time, I'm sure you'll get me out of this. But I have to trust that you'll get me out of this. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, I don't know how long he stood there, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, where many were gathered together praying the church. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, poor Rhoda, came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. I'm laughing because you're there. (laughs) Who is it? It's Peter. Let me in. Oh, he's out. And she leaves him outside the gate, you know? Guys, Peter's outside. Well, go get him, you know? Open the gate for the poor guy. It's dark outside, you know? He's waiting for the guards to come catch up with him. Hey, let me in. And poor Rhoda gets so excited, she leaves him outside. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, and so we give her some grace, she's just excited. She did not open the gate and ran in. And they said, yo, you're beside yourself. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, no, it's an angel. The church that's praying for Peter to get out Gets an answered prayer. Peter's at the door, at the gate, and they don't believe it's him. I think you're okay in your prayer is what I'm getting at. I think we're okay. I honestly know that God can. I know that he will. And I also know that he has to want to. That it has to be part of it, you know? But my job is to pray that way. And I'm honestly sometimes shocked when he answers prayer in the way that I thought was, it'll have to be a miracle if he answers this, but I'm going to pray it anyway. And all of a sudden the answer comes. It's like, whoa, whoa. Now I don't have unbelief. I knew he could do it the whole time. I guess I'm just, 
It's the same unbelief that they had when they saw Jesus who rose, had risen from the dead. And they're just so happy. Like, I can't, and they say it out loud. I can't believe you're alive. They don't mean, I don't believe you're alive. They just said, I just can't believe it. They're like, what? Didn't, you, didn't I tell you I was going to get up? Well, I know you told us you were going to get up, but I just can't believe you're standing here. This is great, is the idea. And I think your prayers, honest, from the heart, for God's will to be done, and for the people that you're praying for is good, honest prayers mixed with as much faith as God has given you, as much faith as you have. Now, we always want to increase our faith. And I don't want it to always be a mustard seed, so don't don't stay there. Oh, I just barely prayed that with faith. Well, then we can do better. And I think when God answers our prayer like he did right here, I think that increases our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What we're reading here is a faith-building story here. Oh, God, please let Peter out, but it doesn't look good. But we're going to continue to pray until we can't pray anymore. Until, until Peter's head is off of his body, we're going to keep praying, right? He's at the door. No way. Yes way, you know. And that's a good prayer. And they're going to pray even more earnestly from here on out. They're going to pray a little bit differently after this night. They're going to pray with a little more, you know what? It may still be a miracle, but I can kind of see it happening more and more. I don't know. I see that happening here. These guys getting their prayers, the, the faith increases here at this moment. I think the more we get to know God, the more we rely on God, the more we trust God for the outcome. And the outcome happens and we're like, whoa, God is truly involved here. You know, it increases our faith. So I think give yourself a little grace and mercy when it comes to prayer. I know James is a tough one to swallow. And I think James means well, and I understand what he's saying there. Don't be praying out of one side of your mouth, but not believing it's going to happen on the other side. That's a double-minded person. That means you're praying for people to see you pray. That means you're doing things for people to witness you doing things, but you really don't believe it, you know. That's a double-minded person. And that's what we're to avoid. And that's what James is talking about. This honest surprise, I guess I identify with it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, some other scriptures. Verses, uh, Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one, a measure of faith. We've all been given a measure of faith. We've all been given that faith by God. It's up to us to exercise it. Verse 16. Now, Peter continued knocking. <laughs> so you think I was joking, like I was making more dramatic this story than William. No, he honestly said, Rhoda, you know, come back and open up. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, you know, so they're screaming, Peter, it's really you. Shh. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So I want to let you know I'm out. It's not safe. You know, I'm going to move on or whatever. I don't know why. Apparently he didn't want to stay there. He went to another location, moved on, but let them know. Now, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I like those verses. It's God's sovereignty. It's God stepping in. 
It's, it's, it's God reassuring us. You, you've been given a measure of faith. You've acted upon that measure of faith. You've used it. You believed on Jesus for your salvation. The grace, the repentance, the forgiveness that I'm giving to you is from me. It's from me, you know. That can't be messed up. And I, I love that. Because if I can mess something up, I will mess something up. But when it comes to God giving stuff to me, he doesn't. My salvation and your salvation is from him. He has us in his hand. He's preparing a place for us. I'm not building it from down here. He's building it. He's coming back to take me home to be with him forever. Those are things he said to us. And we can rely on those those promises. They're not my promises. They're his promises. They're wonderful things. And then Hebrews chapter 12. Don't even turn there because we're not going to read it. It's a whole chapter, but I wanted you to encourage you sometime this week, sometime soon, just read through that chapter 12 of Hebrews like five times. Just read through it five times in a row. It's a wonderful chapter. It'll give you sound doctrine. It'll stabilize you. It'll, it'll bring you home. What's been coming up a lot through different people and also through his word and through my own study time is and, and, and one, of, one of you said it to me recently, but you're like the fourth person to say it to me. So whoever you are, good job. But it's been coming up more and more is this is the real world. Right here is the real world. It's you, wasn't it? You said it to me. That's right. Um, but you were like, yeah, you're like number three. And I said, it's got to come out. It's going to come out. And here it is right here tonight. This, the Bible is the real world. What we're seeing around us is not real. It's not eternal. It's not what lasts. What, you're, what you know in your spirit, what you're reading in God's word, what you see around you as falling apart, that's because it's fake. This is real. And that's why I encourage you, read Hebrews chapter 12. It'll ground you in the reality that we are eternal beings trapped in these mortal bodies, but eventually we get new bodies and we are released and thoroughly equipped to enjoy forever with God, with these new bodies God's going to give us. That's reality. Not this, not today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not time at all. So read Hebrews 12, increase and get closer to the Lord. Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards. Now that's not just your normal questioning. That's like beatings upon beatings and commanded that they should be put to death. That's who he was. Sounds a lot like the Herods of the past that we've known, isn't it? You know, kill every baby under the age of two, just to make sure we get the kid, whoever that Messiah is, let's squash him. So kill all the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two, same kind of spirit, you know, where's Peter? I don't know. The chains were off baloney. You let him out. Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? No, I'm not a follower of Jesus. No, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I swore up and down that I was going to watch over him. And I took, I'm telling you, I don't know what happened. What about you guys? Next guard, you know, group. I don't know. It was locked when I was standing there, still locked this morning. I don't know how he got out, you know, beaten and beaten and beaten because he thought they were lying to him until finally he says, just kill them all. Killed all the guards. Killed them all. Now, here's the thing. 
I don't believe they were believers. I believe they were there because they thought they were doing the right thing and that they were Jews and they were, they were the prisoner guys, you know, that they're the prison guards. That's what they did. They found themselves on the wrong side of things. I don't think this is collateral damage to spiritual warfare here. These guys made a decision in their mind to be a guard over Peter, the apostle, and they lost. And for some people, we can take heart in that. And for other people, it should bring dread if you're an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever, you should have the fear of God placed upon you by this. Because you do not want to be found on the wrong side of Jesus Christ. And as a believer, I'm encouraged by this. Because you are found on the right side of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that can stop you. When the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church... This is what that means. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that James doesn't lose his head. It doesn't mean that Peter could have lost his head. What it does mean is no one's going to get in the way of what God wants to do. For God, James losing his head, that was acceptable. It was time for him to come home, bring him home. Peter, not time for Peter to be brought home yet. Peter's going to keep his head for a while. Peter's going to get crucified upside down later on in life. It just wasn't time for him to die. So when it says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, it simply means you're not going home to be with the Lord until he's done with you. And if you're a guard on the wrong side of Jesus Christ, change jobs. You're expected to do that. We're called to do that. It's going to come, become more and more apparent in this world that you will need to stand up for Jesus Christ and lose your job in the process. And that's okay. Stand on the right side of Jesus Christ as this world falls and crumbles. Be on the right side of things. Well, I got to feed my family. Feed your family another way. Find another way to do it. It is not worth it to be on the wrong side of Jesus Christ in these last days. I'm just telling you. I've had to quit jobs. I've had to decide whether I'm going to do what Jesus wanted me to do or whether I'm going to do what I wanted me to do. And I chose Jesus, and I've never regretted those decisions, ever, ever. And Jesus expects that. Look, you shouldn't be there. You want me to guard Peter? The centurions that said this is truly the son of God, I, I, it'd be hard to be a centurion. Now, some of them were believers. Some of them in Caesar's house were believers. And they were able to continue to keep their faith. But if it ever comes to where you have to follow Jesus or be obedient to your boss, if that's truly the choice, now be careful there. You have to renounce Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to do something contrary to what Scripture tells you to do. Then you're required to obey God. You are. That's very important. And we'll run into that more and more. I mean, you, you can even see it in Daniel. Civil disobedience is absolutely biblical when it comes to God. Absolutely. Bow down and worship this idol. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I want you to bow down and worship this idol or else... Well, I guess it's where else, because I'm not going to bow down and worship this idol. Some people wonder about that. Anyway, these guards find themselves on the wrong side of God, and um, they're done. Herod is on the wrong side of God as well, and you're going to see the end of him tonight. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, having Blastus. The king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. 
So on a day, on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave oration to them. You know, what are they going to do? We got to listen to the guy talk. Oh, you're just a great speaker, Herod. It could have been an idiot, but they had to sit there and listen because they wanted their food. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of man, and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. <laughs> like from the inside out, eaten by worms, you know? Yeah, it's a good picture. That's another coloring page we need to make. <laughs> what are those, honey? Maggots. Oh, that's an interesting Sunday school lesson today. Yeah, it's Herod. Herod found himself on the wrong side of God, the little kid might say. I mean, what a great lesson for all of us. Herod's on the wrong side. It doesn't bode well for them. Some would say, well, it didn't bode well for James. No, 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 you don't understand. It's a big difference between losing your head for Jesus Christ and being eaten by worms and finding yourself in the place that you don't want to find yourself in. Where the worm dieth not. That's right. Exactly. What scripture is that, John? You shared that with me earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, he was, he, Matthew though, it was in Matthew, I thought, and he's talking about where the worm dieth not. You know, just continually eats and chews. I'm not here to bring hellfire and brimstone. I'm just saying it's there. It's just reality. I don't want people to want to avoid hellfire and brimstone so they choose option or door number two. No, it's, it's not like that. It's not like, well, if I don't want to go to hell, I guess I have to accept Christ. No, you understand. Christ is love. He is beauty. He is grace. He is mercy. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. He is all the things of 1 Corinthians 13. He is all the fruit of the Spirit. All the things we want, gentleness, all these things that we desire, that we appreciate and we crave more and more of in our life, that's Jesus. To not have Jesus is to not have any of those things in our lives. It's not just door number two. It's to be on the wrong side. It's to be so prideful like Herod. It's to be so blinded like these guards that you find yourself on the wrong side of the sharp two-edged sword. To accept Christ is to accept all those beauties, all those wonderful things that are God. God is love. So after this all happens, after James gets beheaded, but Peter gets let out, and after Herod explodes into worms, it says, verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. People got it. People realized it. Now, it says this, verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul, you know, meanwhile, back on this other trail, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, which remember they were bringing all the supplies needed for the famine. When they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname is Mark. That's whose house Peter went to where the prayer circle was going on for Peter, Mary. They went to Mary's house. They said, let's bring John. Now, John Mark is Barnabas's nephew, okay, if you didn't know that. And so they go to pick him up to bring him on the mission. Hey, you want to come on the mission field with us? We're going to go all over and plant churches. And, you know, John Mark, well, yeah, I want to go. I want to get out of the house and go do something. He's going to turn tail and run home. And Peter's, or Paul's not going to be happy with that. That's where we head here. 
But Barnabas, that's his ministry. That's what he does. Hey, why don't you come with us? You'll be fine. Interesting. It's just real people walking their walk, and it's unfolding right before our eyes, and we get to hear an honest representation of everything that went down. I love that about God's word. I can so get it. I so understand that. I can see myself being John Mark, not wanting to be on the mission field anymore, scared to death, a little too much for me. I wasn't ready for this. I can see myself doing that. I can see Paul. I can be like Paul. We don't have time for you. Go home then, you little baby. Come on, Barnabas, we're going. Come on, now he's up. Well, then you go your way and I'm going my way. I can see myself doing that too. I see myself in all these things. And I learn from these things, hopefully. When we read these things, we learn from these things. Finally, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that's our last last cross-reference. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Know that about yourself. We're the church. Had a great question today from a guy who says, hey, what do you think? He's a a brother. He's probably listening tonight. Um, He used to come to our church. He's he's moved away since. He's going to get married here in, in 2022. He says, what do you think about you know, someone not getting married inside of, inside the church. I said, well, okay, let's, let's look at it this way. You're talking about should, uh, should born again believers get married inside the church building? Because what's happening is the church is getting married. You're the church. doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in a building or wherever you are, you're the church. I said, as long as you both are born again believers, I said, God's going to be a part of that marriage. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in the building. Oh, that's kind of what I thought too. He was encouraged by that. I hope we understand that. When it says that the church will not prevail, or the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that's you. It's not Calvary. It's not a door. It's not the Methodist. It's not the Baptist. It's not, a, it's not the buildings around town. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you. Now, you may lose your head. Positive, encouraging Calvary tonight. But you won't lose it one day sooner than God says, it's time to come home to be with me. And for you as a church to die, gain. It's gain. We go home to be with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We love you. We thank you for your your love for us. It's so real. It's so genuine. Thank you for using us, wanting to use us down here, sending us on different missions and having different responsibilities and different ways of ministering. All the same spirit, but such a variety of ministries. We thank you for that. Help us to fulfill our ministry that you've called us to to be in prayer like we're supposed to, to be praying for each other, but to let you do what you want to do and to be okay with whatever direction you decide to take us in. We give our lives to you again. We just want to recommit our lives to you, God, and give them to you and let you do with us what you want to do with us. And Lord, help us to see the needs around us. Help us to have our spiritual antenna up, to not fall asleep, to not be lethargic, to be complacent, to be asleep, but to be wide awake and to look for opportunities to be a blessing and to share Jesus with those around us. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.